God created a world, he would have to create a way to communicate to that world. And I believe the Bible is that communication. Good afternoon. My name is Leah Dixon, and I'm here with Pastor Bob Gaglione for Fridays with Pastor Bob, a weekly segment where Bob Gaglione answers your questions about current events, relevant topics, and tough issues. Today, we'll be talking about the trustworthiness of the Bible. Pastor Bob, you have been teaching from the Bible for more than 20 years, but there's a lot of skepticism surrounding this book. Do you actually believe that the verses and chapters in this book are the words of God? Well, I've staked my entire life on it, and yes, I do. And when we look at the skepticism of the Bible, uh, many times we have to understand where that skepticism comes from. So when we look at the integrity of Scripture, there's two things we have to look at. One, uh, what is the internal description that we get from the Word of God, the apologetic, and then what is the external? So I want to read a verse from Romans chapter 1 where the Apostle Paul is making an argument that man is without excuse because since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Uh, The psalmist said, the heavens declare the glory of God, the earth is his handiwork, and day by day they utter forth speech. So, Externally, we see that there's a creation around us that God created um, that day by day is telling us that God is the author of this world. He left his fingerprints. So when I go to a zoo, when I look at the complexity of animals, when I look at the human body, a starry night, I realize that someone, something created this. So there's, there's something drawing me to God. However, creation can only take me so far because the bee that pollinates my food and is so beautiful to look at can sting me. Uh, The sun-drenched ocean can drown me. So I have to look for something greater, and that is the Word of God. Now, internally, the Bible declares that it is the Word of God. Just a few scriptures. Psalm 19 says, The law of the Lord, the scripture, is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. It uh, goes on to say that the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Uh, probably the quintessential verse came from the lips of Jesus himself. And remember, the Bible he read was the Old Testament, where he said, If you abide in my word, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus said, The word of God was the truth. And if you just think about it in common sense, if God created a world, he would have to create a way to communicate to that world. And I believe the Bible is that communication. Internally, it declares that. Externally, I think history, um, preservation of the word of God, the prophetic utterances, alignment with science all show us that we can stake our lives on the scriptures. Pastor Bob, help me with this. At some point, a man or woman had to sit down and write the words that we read in the Bible. How does that work that it could be written by a human and yet still be the inspired word of God? Well, Leah, I think that's where a lot of the skepticism comes from. People just can't wrap their minds around this idea that this message system from God had human beings involved, but I, but I see the beauty in that. 
where by God, even in preaching, God uses the, what the Bible calls the foolishness of preaching, where he uses the human instrument. I, I, I do this every Sunday, but I also realize as I'm preaching, there's something God's doing through the work of the Holy Spirit with spiritual ears and spiritual eyes of the listener. That's where true ministry takes place. So um, there is this guide, idea that God used men and women to write the scriptures. I'll, I'll give you a verse uh, that speaks to the 2 Timothy 3.16, says all scripture, and we'll get into that in a minute, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete. Another scripture said, holy men of old wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It was God-breathed. So though the apostle Paul was writing letters in the early church, it was the Spirit of God that was coming upon him. And we have to find a way to wrap our mind around that God is able to use fallible men and women to produce an infallible document. Pastor Bob, you mentioned the phrase, all scripture. Now, what about the other letters that were written? Or what about great works that are written today? How can we know what belongs in the Bible and what doesn't? Well, very early, uh, the Old Testament, the New Testament, people could decipher between what they thought was inspired and uninspired. They call that the canon of Scripture. Um, not a canon we would fire, but the idea of a canon is the, is, is the completion. Uh, one of the internal evidences for the Word of God is its miraculous design. Think about this. We have 66 books written by 40 authors over 1,500 years some of them were kings like David and Solomon. Some of them were political leaders like Moses. We have prime ministers like Daniel, learned men like Paul. But then we get military generals like Joshua, a shepherd like Amos, a tax collector like Matthew. Luke, one of the great historians of all time, was a doctor. Nehemiah wrote um, in Persia in a foreign land. Peter, James, and John were fishermen. God used the collective intellect and... Um, personality of these individuals to communicate to us, again, what I believe is the infallible Word of God. So uh, very early on, people deciphered, and, and it was known that these books are part of the canon of Scripture. And if you read the Apocrypha, these are books that are contained within the Catholic Bible or extra-biblical writing. As soon as you read them, you can tell that they're not inspired. But don't let anybody fool you. Very early uh, people understood these were inspired. Pastor Bob, let's back up a little bit. You've just talked a lot about the internal and apologetic nature of the Bible. What about the external? Yeah, Leah, it, one of the things we overlook because so many of us have Bibles in our home and you can walk into a Barnes & Noble and buy a Bible is the miracle of preservation. You know, these documents written 1,500 years, 40 different, 40 different authors have been preserved until our day. Um, if you look at copies, and remember, nobody has the original manuscripts. Nobody has the original manuscripts of any work of antiquity. So when you look at the copies, uh, Hebrew writers would sit down, take, for example, the book of Isaiah. Um, listeners may not know this, but the Hebrew, the, the, the letters are also the numbers. So scribes would sit down and they would copy a book like Isaiah. When they would write a line, they would actually add up the letters to see if it matched, if it came out to the right numerical point, 
And this was a thorough work that was done meticulously, some people giving their life to this. And of course, the great discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls down in Qumran in 1947 or 48 showed us um, a complete scroll of Isaiah as it had appeared 1,500 years ago. These these copies were preserved. So, so war and famine and natural disasters, edicts where men tried to wipe out the word of God in Rome, uh, communism tried to, you know, it, extinct the word of God from Russia and China, the Muslim world. Uh, Every effort has been made to take this book out of existence, and yet we have it today. Voltaire said in the 17th century that in 100 years, there'd be no more Bibles, and it's still the number one selling book of all time. So I look at the miracle of preservation um, as one of the unsung validations that the Bible is God's word. It's pretty amazing. I think one of the most common things that we hear as Christians from unbelievers is that someone could just come along at some point and change the words of the Bible so it could could not be a true book. So what you're saying is it would be very, very difficult to change the words of the Bible as we know it today from their original texts. Well, Jesus said in the book of Revelation, whoever changes these words, adds or subtracts to them will receive the condemnation of that book. Again, it goes back to the canon. Very early, the four Gospels were validated as inspired by God. The letters were validated. The Apocrypha, the hidden books, it doesn't mean they didn't have value for history's sake or they weren't full of pithy sayings. It just means there was a sense that they weren't inspired. So so why was there in sense why was there a sense that other books were inspired? Well, number one, prophecy. Uh, many of the books in the Bible are prophetic. In other words, they predict things in the future that that could have never come to the mind of man, and they had to be 100% accurate. Uh, The second thing is the Bible's not a science book, but it has to be 100% accurate scientifically. And it's astounding when we begin to look in the scriptures uh, that we see this evidence. You know, you go to Ecclesiastes, where it talks about all the rivers running into the sea, but the sea's not full. And you corroborate that with scriptures in Genesis, and you find out that we have the entire hydraulic system uh, as we know it today. It talks about, in Isaiah, the Lord sitting above the circle of the earth. Um, The earth is a sphere. So uh, a seed producing after its kind, DNA. Jesus said, every hair on your head is numbered. So there's this idea that internally the historicity, the alignment with science, preservation, I mean, it's almost a lockdown case that the Bible is the Word of God. And remember, there's no other book, no other holy book, no other book on the planet that even makes the claim, let alone lives up to it. So the Bible, if all of this is true, this would be a really important book for Christians to really know inside and out. And a lot of believers, myself included, can struggle to really get into it on a day-by-day basis and memorize scripture. What advice would you give to, to people in that situation? I was a brand new Christian at 20 years old on a college campus. I went to 12 years of Catholic school, never read the Bible. Someone introduced me to Christ, gave me a Bible, told me to, to read in John, and I took a chapter a day. And rather than approach it as a textbook, I approached it 
as a God who longed to communicate with me. Jesus said, if you knock, the door will be open. If you seek, you'll find. And God just began to speak to me, and it was powerful. And, of course, years later, you know, I began to study because God gave us a brain. You know, it, it's simple enough for a child to read, but 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 it's it's deep enough for scholars at Oxford to give their lives to it. So um, I would recommend Christians read every day. Take a portion of a day, sit in a chair, wherever you like, and begin to read the Word of God systematically and let it minister to you, and then maybe get a study aid or a commentary and uh, feed your faith and starve your doubts. Pastor Bob, do you have a favorite verse or a favorite book? Every time I start a new book of the Bible that I'm teaching, I always say it's my favorite book. Um I love Joshua 1.8, where it says, Do not let the book of this law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night, and you'll have great success. And as I said, I, I've read the Bible every day of my life, and 30 years later, uh, I've had great success. And what I mean by success is that I love God as much today as I did when I started this journey. I see the world through his eyes. Uh, doesn't mean my life's devoid of trials. Doesn't mean I don't struggle like everyone else. It just means I have this anchor to my soul that God has been faithful. Um, you know what? Here, here's a scripture that we've all known from our days in Sunday school, where it says in First John chapter four, verse seven, "Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love." In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is where Christians, I think, go astray. They're so weak in understanding the Bible. They know God is love, but when they don't get the house of their dreams, the job of their dreams, the wife or husband of their dreams, they say, well, where's the love of God? Well, we just read the love of God. God manifested his love toward us, not by giving us everything we wanted, but by giving his son. So the logic of God's love is that I look to the cross, not to my felt needs or my desires. And God does those things. We all know that. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and we're his children but on a down day, when I doubt the love of God, I don't look at those things. I look at the finished work of the cross. And that's where being a student of the Bible makes us stronger. Pastor Bob, help some people who are listening today who may be skeptics themselves. What would you recommend that they read? Most people are skeptics because they've heard someone else's argument. Uh, Time Magazine had a cover that fascinated me it was a cliff notes and it said on the bible and the title of time magazine was why we should teach the bible in public school now they don't believe it's the word of god but they were saying that from a literary standpoint it is the greatest work of antiquity it has poems it has history um hebrew writings greek it is fascinating when you put the Bible up against Shakespeare or some of the greatest works of antiquity like the Odyssey or the Iliad. Nothing stands against this book. So I would say to skeptics, don't go by what someone else has said. Read the Bible for yourself. 
Read the Bible for yourself, then make your own opinion. I was uh, on the internet one day, and I was looking through debates, and Christopher Hitchens popped up. And Christopher Hitchens wrote a book called God is Not Great. He's a brilliant man, brilliant orator. And um, the person who had put his debate on YouTube was lauding the fact that he had slammed Dinesh D'Souza, who was a Christian, his debate partner, concerning the virgin birth. And Christopher Hitchens shared that the Bible declares that Jesus was virgin born and then went through almost every major religion and pagan religion and shared how those gods were virgin born. Now, a skeptic might look at that and say, wow, see, Christianity was like every other religion. It was just full of pagan ideas. Well, if I were debating Christopher Hitchens, the first thing I would say is, Mr. Hitchens, did any of those other religions that claimed that their gods were virgin-born have a document written a thousand years before predicting that event? Because 1,500 years before Christ was born, Isaiah said a virgin would conceive and the one that was born would be called, you know, a wise counselor or the everlasting father, the prince of peace. So, so again, don't go by what the skeptics say. Uh, read it for yourself. Or read, learn men on the other side. For every Christopher Hitchens, there's a John Lennox who teaches at Oxford University. There's a C.S. Lewis. There's somebody sitting at Harvard and Stanford who believes the word of God is the Bible. Pastor Bob, a few minutes ago, you quoted a passage from 1 John on love. A lot of times in Christian circles, Christians aren't sure how to be loving to friends who are skeptics or friends who question them all the time about their beliefs and can get frustrated and unloving. Pastor Bob, help us in this area. Well, I think we've all been there. You know, the Bible talks about when you come into a relationship with God, it's like a man who found a treasure and then he bought the whole field. And for the first time in our life, we've known truth. So we run out thinking everybody's going to believe and when they don't, we try and jam it down their throat or we get a little bit of knowledge, just enough to be dangerous. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, kindness. The fruit of the Spirit in our lives should be desirable. It should make us desirable to people to want to listen to. The Bible talks about us having the aroma of life, uh, our our feet being shod with the the gospel of peace. So uh, I think one of the things we need to do is to realize that faith is a process and that some plant, some water, and God gives the increase. I remember hearing a story about a man at a carnival where you would plunk down a dollar, uh, give him a scripture verse, and he could tell you any scripture in the Bible but he wasn't even a believer. Anybody can memorize the Bible, and anybody can read the Bible for knowledge. I'm not worried about, you know, detail. I played Bible trivia with my daughter one time, and, you know, it was all full of details. How many men were here, and what city did this happen in? And I couldn't get all those answers. She's like, well, Dad, you're a pastor. You should know all that. And I'm like, yeah, but God didn't call me to remember trivial things The Bible is a book where we enter into a relationship with God, and Jesus was full of grace and truth, and that's the way I think we need to be. Pastor Bob, any final thoughts on the trustworthiness of the Bible? Well, think about this, Leah. This might be the most important point. 
the Gospel of John opens up by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he tabernacled among us. Jesus is called the Word of God. The Bible says God's put the Word of God above his name, and his Son became the Word, and that's how powerful it is. We can stand on it. Uh, it's reliable. Uh, Jesus is the living word. And, and I don't think anything carries as much weight as that does. Uh, I think Jesus himself confirmed that the Old Testament was the Bible. Uh, he quotes from it over 81 times. Um, it's the Bible that he read. Uh, it has authority. And again, I think there's great confirmation in that. On the topic of love, sometimes people say that the God of the Old Testament was unloving, whereas the God of the New Testament is loving. Now, we know that there's one God and there's one Bible. So how do you answer those questions? The scripture says that God is love. But sometimes love means a demonstration of harsh things. We know that as parents, my kid wants a candy bar. That's a wonderful treat, but I can't give it to him at 11 o'clock at night. Uh, a doctor has to cut cancer out of a body. Sometimes we have to imprison people. So when we look at the Old Testament, we were talking about a world that was so heinous that God had to wipe it out through a flood. Uh, at Babel, God said, whatever they're trying to do won't be hindered from them. You know, they were created in the image of God. They were given intellect. We sit here today with man's ability to destroy himself with nuclear weapons if if God wasn't the restrainer through the power of the Holy Spirit. So in Old Testament times where people were sacrificing children, where there was cannibalism, where there was polygamy, uh, God had to do harsh things. God told Israel to drive the Canaanites and the Jebusites, these people out of the land who were pagan and who were utterly going to destroy themselves. And sometimes God had to do things that we think were harsh and unloving, but they were loving. For instance, if you read the book of Leviticus, uh, people were quarantined who had diseases. So when we look at AIDS, people say, well, you can't quarantine people, but that's the way we, we dealt with severe uh, issues in the past. Even, even during the Middle Ages quarantine, people understood that was the way things should be done. So... I think there's many instances in the Bible where we looked and said, no, God was harsh, but looking back, it was the right thing to do. Um, when we come into the New Testament, we come into a very different scenario uh, where Jesus is the embodiment of love. But even as the embodiment of love, he went in and overturned the tables in the temple, and he was angry at those uh, that were practicing extortion on God's people. Uh, there were times where Jesus was full of grace, mostly towards people who were down and out, but very strict with the religious. So God's ways are above our ways. God is the ultimate heavenly father. And I think there's a seamless transition between the Old and the New Testament. It's the same God, same author. Um, and earlier you said that the prophecies in the Old Testament are fulfilled in the New Testament. So would that be another linking factor? The whole Old Testament was looking forward to, to the completion uh, of our faith that would come in Jesus Christ, the sacrificial system. Jesus became the Lamb of God. Uh, the Ten Commandments fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Uh, 
So yeah, the whole Old Testament, the feast days, we're looking forward to their fulfillment. And now we find that in Christ. Thanks for tuning in to Fridays with Pastor Bob. Next week, Pastor Bob will talk about creationism. If you have a question or topic that you'd like Pastor Bob to address, please email us at radio at ccdelco.com. That's radio at ccdelco.com. Thank you and God bless. Calvary Chapel of Delaware County is conveniently located at routes 202 and 1 in Chadsford, Pennsylvania, and is accessible to Chester, Delaware, and Newcastle counties. If you enjoyed Pastor Bob's teaching, visit our website at www.ccdelco.com and click on the Journey Through the Word icon. You can also listen to messages on iTunes at Journey Through the Word. Or if you'd like, please feel free to contact us at 610-459-8111.